This podcast is brought to you by The Business Habitat, a 12-month development program for expert business leaders looking to escape the hamster wheel and grow their businesses to scale. So here's the question. In our expert professional services businesses, where the rules were written last century and the world keeps changing around us, how do we as experts who have spent years, sometimes decades, getting our technical skills to the ultimate level, but proportionally little time learning the ones required to grow our businesses based on our own terms, rewrite these rules for ourselves? I'm Sam Dean, and this podcast, Business Habitat, explores the answers to these questions. Well, hello, everybody, and good morning and good evening. For our guest today, I have got Tracy Bissett, who is located in Toronto, Canada. Super excited to have Tracy. She's going to be my first guest in our Love Your Numbers series. And the reason why I'm starting off with Tracy, because I think she does something super powerful. She has a podcast called Young Money Podcast, and it helps and educates obviously, the younger people. Tracy and I are of um, a absolutely gorgeous vintage, which is a little older and, you know, sharing her a deep knowledge with the younger people. But she also has a very juicy background in the banking and has an amazing package that she teaches um, financial education and she does financial education mandates for businesses that the Australian, sorry, that the Canadian government mandates that business owners do. So I'm going to hand over to Tracy and Tracy, if you could tell us a little bit about yourself and, and how you got to uh, be where you are today. Absolutely. So I've loved money ever since I was a little kid. I learned at a really young age that you could use money to be a tool to help you get things or do things that you wanted. So I've been pretty unemotional about it my whole life, uh, which is very unique and different from, from most other people. We had lots of money conversations in my household. Um, my dad was a banker, and so we, we were always talking about money in some way. Uh, so I certainly was really well-versed. I uh, went on to business school, and then I, I started working at one of Canada's big five banks. Um, we have a, a few banks here, kind of like a monopoly system uh, in, in the country. And Sounds so, familiar. <laughs> <laughs> and so I thought I would work there for one or two years. I started in commercial lending, so I was helping business owners get access to financing. Uh, fast forward, moving lots of positions, moving around the country uh, 16 years later, um, ended up in uh, risk management, supporting the chief risk officer. So had lots of roles in supporting clients at different levels and actually approving loans for companies of all different sizes all across Canada, as well as some in the U.S. across all different industries. Uh, so, so it was really fun to do that. I worked with great colleagues in the bank. I worked with great customers on the outside of the bank. And uh, at one point, my, my seat was taken away from the table. And so they did some restructuring. And that's what uh, led me to start my business, Visit Financial Fitness. Fantastic. I love that, the, the name of it as well. We obviously work with a lot of a lot of business owners and one and we work on their business habitat. So we work first of all with the leader to make sure that they're aligned with themselves. And one of the key parts of that's the numbers issue. Obviously we work with only experts and it always amazes me how people just don't know their numbers. And I think it goes back to what you said before. I think it's so powerful that you had money conversations from an early age. So there was never any mystery about it? Do you think that that's one thing that 
why you're passionate. And also from a woman's point of view as well, it is one of the big blocks for women. I certainly have had it myself around that because there's a cloud of mystery. And I think the expert industries, including my own, which is accounting, kind of adds to that because we um, are experts and, and it can be quite complicated. So we kind of maybe um, give that impression off as well. Do you think being brought up with it made the difference for you? And how important is that for younger people? Absolutely. I mean, the way you form your views and your relationship with money, it starts between and, and really gets solidified between five and seven years of age. And so whatever's going on in your household is obviously going to impact you. Uh, I do, I've done over the over my years and my career, lots of volunteering around financial education. I worked with um, some little girl guides, like the five-year-old girls. Uh, and one of them told me money was evil. Oh. Like imagine, she probably doesn't know what money is at five years old. She knows, though, that it's evil because of what's happening in her household. So if you grow up in a household where there's tears or yelling or door slamming, or maybe there's lots of phone calls from collectors, no matter what's going on, that's shaping your relationship. And so we were talking about it openly at home, which is great. Um, I don't know about about, uh, Australia, but certainly here in Canada, our school system does a really poor job of educating young people about money. And so you can make yourself all the way through high school and and not know very much about money. You get out, now you got a lot of student debt. You still don't know very much more about money. And and now you're trying to start your life and and you still haven't been taught. So um, that's on the personal side. And then uh, what I see with business owners is for some reason they think they're supposed to know when they haven't been taught personally. So how would they know how to run the finances in their business? So it all kind of goes together. Yeah, I hadn't. That, that's such an interesting connection is the personal equation. Because I mean, how if, you're, if you've been told money is evil and certainly everyone has very different experiences. You know, some people growing up that I know that I've coached have had even the other one that just seems to come in and there's no thought behind it. So it's the opposite, you know, I suppose with privilege. And then you, so there's no controls in it and it's just kind of, uh, it will happen. And, you know, frankly, I think being an accountant um, with a tax accountant background, that certainly happens in some of our businesses as well. Because the, the money comes in because, the, you know, the tax returns and everything like that and then you make okay money and you're good money. When you try to actually work with business owners that haven't, you actually don't have the frame to go, well, how do we actually make the money flow and, and what do these numbers actually mean to different people? So as with everything in life, I've just realized it's a, it's a complete pay. You know, one of my big beliefs is the individual doesn't stop being who you are as you soon as you work, walk into your business and your money story doesn't stop now from personal to business as well. So you really need to get into that. So what's the, the couple of things that I'm going to put you on a bit of a spot. So when you work with the young money, so younger people, is there any pattern that you see happen both in youth and then when you see it, when you're doing your um, financial education programs with sort of adult business owners? What are the, is there any cut, couple of patterns? Uh, one of the things is not understanding um, the cycle of cash flow. Mm-hmm. So you can, um, with younger people, it's more around their paycheck and they know what what they're supposed to get paid, but then they're not thinking about all of the deductions um, and that what's actually going to net in their bank account and flow in. Um, and then when I'm working with business owners, it's this um, concept of I've invoiced and I'm going to have sales, but they're not thinking about when does the money actually flow to the bank account. And so depending on the industry, that could be deposit up front, some later, 
could be 60 days from time of work completion or anywhere in between. And so um, that that's one of the things. The other is that when I, I see consistently when you don't have a, a great handle on the way money works and the way you can generate it and 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 how that all goes, um, there's also a tendency to want to try to to make it quickly. And so people are looking for the shortcut a little bit in terms of how can they get the windfall to really get that life they, they might see on social media or to keep up with their friends and to do what they think everyone else is doing, even though that's not really the case. That's an amazing point. So the actual, the preparation as with everything in life is all the way through and this whole idea of the quick wins are what matters. And we talk a lot about ours for dollar mindset and it's the same principles. It doesn't really matter where it is. You know, sometimes you've got to retreat then to come back out. And that's certainly the same with cash flow and sustainable, you know, cash flow and sustainable profit. And then this focus on top line dollar, the um, success KPIs, like KPIs. Oh, that's my my biggest pet peeve is people um, (laughs) hyping their sales levels um, because too much focus is on that top line on the sales and there's so little focus on the actual profitability. Um, So I don't care what your sales are. Um, because you can, I've seen so many clients during COVID who had lower sales in their business, but they made more money because they reined in their expenses. So I I don't care what people's sales levels are. I really care about what's the profitability and are you able to get paid from your business? And I think that's where the focus should be. Yeah. And I think too, as business owners, quite often we don't do that. We go, oh, we're making a profit. And then you look at it and go, well, what's your commercial salary? <laughs> what happened if you got run over by a truck tomorrow and you broke your two legs and you had to put yourself back in the business? And they go look at it and go, oh, well, that'd be 200. And I said, well, your profit's 160. So, you know, you're making a loss. And, you know, I see that a lot with experts as well. And I think with experts, there's a double whammy because they think, oh, we should know this. Mm-hmm. And you said it before, particularly tax accountants. Like why on earth would tax accountants know that? Because they're trained in tax. <laughs> so I beat myself up. 12 years into my industry in tax, you know, in the early 2000s, I went out and went on my own and opened a business with my husband to chop down trees because I thought I knew everything about business. I thought I knew everything, certainly, about financial statements, cash flow and all of that sort of stuff. Transpires, I didn't know anything because I had it and I beat myself up for that <laughs> for a long time. But then I started, you know, a little bit later with a lot of work uh, internally. I realized, how would I know that? Like, how would I, and then it was a big ha-ha because it's like when we're in an accounting firm, a tax accounting firm in particular, we concentrate on the sales and our clients have to pay us at some point so we can do the next year. So even though our data days were some of the worst in the industry and our whip days and our lockup, they were same every year. So the cash flow actually was very consistent, even though it could have been a, a lot better. So it was like, no, I know cash flow. I know the regularity of it. You know, I've been in a business with steady cash flow. And then I started looking at it from an eyes of a business owner and a startup business owner that was a bit very desperate for cash. And I went, (laughs) oh my God, God, we could have had like 800,000 a year more in the first year in. And I know when I was in my big firm, I actually projected that. I said, if we can reduce our data days and stuff by 10 to 20, 30 days, and it was that significant that that wasn't even good we'd get $800,000 in the bank and it was come back off said like it was almost so. It's a one-off. I'm going, <laughs> what? So today I can go and put 10%, 80K in my pockets. You can put 80K in as well. And you feel that it's not worth making those telephone calls and putting the systems and processes in place to make that. And the answer was no. 
And there's lots of reasons for that. And that was not an, a knowledge thing, I think. I think that was a whole lot of, you know, trauma and stuff around money. I mean, now that I know that. And it's so curious to me. But I think people spend, if I, if you look at, have you seen this stat? That it would be a good stat to run by you. I am trying to be doing some research on how people spend more money on their marketing and sales funnels than they do on their financial education. Oh, uh, hands down. Yes. I agree. I agree. Yes. <laughs> when I, and how I've done that, because I can't find any direct research on it. But, um, you know, I look at places like UG, UDME, which is the university online, has some amazing things. And the financial, they've got some beautiful little tiny weeny financial statement stuff um, and financial literacy education stuff for like twenty nine ninety five or forty nine ninety five American. And I go, Wow. 8,000, 9,000 people doing them on average. And I go, oh, that's okay. You go over to the marketing and sales stuff, which is a little more expensive, not much, but 100,000, 300,000 people doing it. And I'm going, not everyone needs marketing and sales funnel, but everybody needs to know their numbers. Everybody has numbers. And there's an amazing difference. Do you find that with your, you know, because you do the financial education stuff, and I know that the clients have to pay for it. Do you have a, a block on your sales or does that ring true to you? Totally rings true. Um, so a lot of my clients come directly on referral, which is great. Um, but I do source clients my, myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's, there's a few things going on there. So number one, somehow there's this shame and embarrassment around getting training and education on the financial side. Whereas people do not seem to have that kind of problem to learn about marketing or sales or any other part of their business, but they feel like they're supposed to know. So all of a sudden they're not going to to take that leap, even though everything else it's okay to spend money on and get someone to help you and and it's okay. So kind of breaking that down. And then people don't like it. People, they've grown up thinking, I'm not good at math. I don't like numbers. That's not my forte. So they don't want to commit resources to something they don't like, even though it can fundamentally change the way the future of the business looks. Yeah. And it, it often is on building on the, the, the wins, the, the foundation that's already there. So it doesn't require necessarily wholesale change of anything. It's building on what's already going well and how can we make tweaks. And by people bringing their attention to actually what's going on with the numbers, they can then hit their goals so much more smoothly. They can actually sometimes work less and make more money like we were talking about. And it's yeah. just these little modifications um, that allow them to actually get crystal clear. And And usually people, I can see the weight lift off their shoulders. Like uh, when we're working together, I can see the relief. They, I hear it in their voice. And then they're kind of like, why didn't I do this before? Like this would have been the best money I spent earlier because then all of a sudden I could have been making more and tackled so many other different things. And I think too, we don't sit up all night and wake up at 3 a.m. worrying about our marketing, marketing. but we Never. do worry about our financial <laughs> situation. Yeah, permeates, so like- permeates every area of your life. I mean, your health, your relationships, your physical fitness, mental health. Um, you're not focused on your customer when you're yep. worried about your finances and your business. Your mind is somewhere else. Yep. So yep. there's so many valid reasons, but you can't make people do something they don't want to do. So you've got to usually the people who come to work with me, they're in some kind of um, crisis mode, sometimes in a positive way and sometimes in a negative. So they might have bought a business. And so they've realized, you know what, I've had to take on a lot of debt to buy this business. I'm going to have to take this more serious and and they're going to get focused. Or 
they can't qualify for financing and, and lenders have suggested, you know, you need to bring up your financial acumen. So here's how they show up. Uh, or, and then they just realize they can't get out of it this time on their own. So they're, they're looking for the help. And it's, uh, I'd love to say all my clients come because they just want to increase their financial acumen, but that is not just not the case. <laughs> yeah. And I think it goes back to what you were saying earlier on. It's how you're brought up with it. So you were brought up with it. So you've been always curious about it. You constantly teach yourself because it was talked about five to seven. It wasn't a mystery when you were five or seven years old. It wasn't mysterious. I mean, if I look back on my money story, I remember mum crying at the clothesline because we were in a kangaroo business and it was through no fault of any of dads, but, you know, the Australian government made his business basically illegal. And it was about money. It wasn't about the fact that dad lost the business or, or anything like that, but it was like how we're going to pay our bills. So it, it was terrifying for a younger child and they were doing the best they can. They, of course, never intentionally did that. And we talked about a lot in our in our households, but I can tell, and we were very frank and, and I had a beautiful upbringing, but thinking about it, we didn't talk about money. So there was a intense, I mean, I became an accountant because my grandfather was an accountant and he got to talk to people all day and I thought that would be pretty good. So <laughs> I do love numbers. I do love numbers. I must admit, I don't love tax. I don't like filling out forms. So obviously tax and audit weren't for me early on, but I still love the numbers because it's so important. Every number that we have, everything we have is, whether it's weight or health or everything is actually monitored with numbers. And some of them, some of them stuff us up. So it goes back to that, isn't it? And it's still, I always used to get frustrated when I started my business advisory um, section in the because I used to always get, everyone would always send the clients in crisis and you would work with them and you would get their cash flow right. But then, then I said, okay, well, let's keep working on this. And they'd go, no, I'm fixed now. And you just knew. <laughs> no, you're not because you haven't actually changed the pattern and the behavior behind that. And then they would come back. And then it was exactly what you just said. People only buy what they want. So I suppose it's our job to turn their needs into wants. Absolutely. And it's um, the, the empowerment. So it's, what I'm doing is not con, uh, consulting, it's more coaching. So when we're doing a cash flow forecast, they're actually making it. I'm not making it. I'm helping them and I'm educating them around it. And I'm questioning them to help them come up with the numbers. But I'm not sitting alone doing the spreadsheet. Mm -hmm. They're doing it and they're going through the struggles. Because And I tell them most of the learning is going to come from you getting frustrated trying to figure this out. But that's how the learning happens and the change actually happens. Okay. I want to spend every, send everybody listening to this podcast a moment. Can you sit in everybody. that? <laughs> As experts, we have to teach our people, uh, teach our clients how to do things. Um, I, you know, when I worked mainly just with accounting firms, I, my cash flow program was about teaching people cash flow. And two or three times, it was, no, we just want to do it for them. And I couldn't, I had to... <laughs> actually give up on that one, but couldn't get it through. And now you are seeing people, other types of people such as yourself and such of other styles coming through and teaching financial empowerment. I also find that if, as accountants, if we teach them what we do, they will actually spend more time with us <laughs> because they start to understand the power of it, particularly the preparation of the data and stuff for that and particularly tax. So you can actually start doing your tax stuff or your financial strategy stuff or whatever it is you that you want to know. But it's their numbers. It's their cash flow. And like me, and I think they own it. They own it. Yeah. They need and I to think like it. me and you, we have 
increased, say, talking about marketing again, both I, I know both you and I have spent a lot of time educating ourselves on marketing and digital thing, and we both have other people doing it now. Mm-hmm. And it's the same with numbers. If we teach them the numbers, then they, they might come back and get you to do it. But if they don't know what you do, you're always going to have the expert paradox of not valuing it. And it's the empowerment too. That's so juicy. So juicy. Thank you. So there's some really good tips, everybody, there. At, see if you can discover what people's sort of money story is and discover that from the early age. And really get down and see if you can hone in if they understand the cash flow. And if you're listening, you don't work directly with people in the financials areas, get into your own. Like really understand that. And also understand that it's absolutely no shame in knowing that. So I am a 30-year FCA and I had to teach myself at year 12 all of this stuff. And I was a bit, I was ashamed at first, but then I realized I had actually never been taught it through my two university degrees. And my um, CA, no one ever taught me how to understand my cash flow cycles. No one ever taught me any of that stuff, how my goals linked into my financial statements, the movement through the P&L balance sheet cash flow. No one had ever taught me that. I had to teach myself and I'm highly educated in numbers. Yeah, I, I agree. And uh, I had a summer student um, this past year and, and he said, this is not like what they teach me at business school. He said, we learn about big companies who have all these fancy things going on. I said, well, I work with small business owners. So when he attended a lot of the trainings with our business owners, we did a group program and he learned so much because he learned how actual people are going to use it, not huge accounting departments uh, in a big corporation. So it's completely different um, trying to live it the day to day and, and actually make a business run when you're understanding. Oh, that's a fantastic thing. Uh, that that was beautiful. I hope everybody listened to that. And if you don't rewind, listen to it again. Um, the actual people who, who use it. it. <laughs> I think that's going to be a quote um, for the um, podcast. Um, so another thing I always get curious on is um, everyone's different business models. I mean, obviously you're a very uh, you're an expert, and um, you have a very different business model um, than most what traditional experts. Could you tell us a bit about your business? Absolutely. So when I, I left my role at the, the big bank in Canada, I took some time and packaged together all the things I like to do. So I had loved um, when I was working at the bank, teaching younger lenders how to do things. So the first thing I do did was look for some uh, teaching opportunities. So I taught part-time at a university, I taught part-time at a college, and eventually that's turned into, I actually have a full-time teaching position at a college in Canada where I'm teaching students to become financial planners. So I teach them about loan structuring, cash flow planning, that's all part of their, their program. And then I might be working with them in the morning, and then I'm working with business owners in the afternoon, working on their particular financials, teaching them uh, cash flow cycles. So um, lots of one-on-one or group coaching with business owners as well. And, and my niche is t- typically $2 million and under in sales. Kind of beyond that, they've got um, professional um, financial people in place in their company and uh, really helping to pass the knowledge from me to them through the coaching and hands-on on working and, and asking them questions and getting them to dig into the stuff. Uh, then as, as you mentioned, I've got my podcast, A Young Money. So I do tons of speaking, whether it's to business owners or to young adult audiences. And um, that's a really fun part uh, of my day and, and doing podcast appearances like this. It's one of my most favorite things to do. You get to impact lots of people and meet some really great people along the way. So whether it's through my own show or, or being a guest, it's really fantastic. 
Yep. And come on, tell us about the um, awards you've been up for recently. I've seen some pretty cool things going on there. Uh, so several in the last year, um, one of them that especially proud of um, that I was the the, the runner-up um, two years ago and then a nominee again uh, this year, uh, the IFSE Financial Literacy uh, Champion Award, which really is a, it's a healthy competition. There's lots of amazing candidates who are up for that and really um, a great uh, attestation and testament to the work with the podcast and how far it reaches. Um, coming up on a four-year anniversary with the podcast, we've got listeners in over 40 countries. Um, downloads are going up every month, and it's really been um, such a privilege to be able to impact so many people with that kind of medium. And I would suggest anybody who had, well, I don't, you don't actually have to be young. I've listened to it. So <laughs> um, I like to think of myself at 50 as young, but um, I think that I have my kids listen to it. Not all, every single topic, but certainly because um, some of it's not as relevant over here, but some of the, the financial literacy stuff has been amazing for them. My son is just going into the army and I like to think it's my influence and yours a little bit. And he has already said, you know, mum, I'm going to, I'm 19 now. I've got this really big opportunity. He saved money. He got, he's bought his own car and now he's going to start saving for a house. He wants a house. Australians are obsessed by houses as far as an investor goes. And I think that is the influence of us having different conversations and then having availabilities to podcasts such as yourself around. But it's up to us as parents, and I know that a lot of the demographics listening to this do have kids. So it's like start them early, get them so they don't have our hang-ups or whatever. They're going to have their own. Don't worry about it. <laughs> it's not our fault. But, you know, get them into it early and I the first place I would start is definitely your podcast there will be links obviously below for that and then you know have a think think of what Tracy's done as a straight out finance expert and how she stepped through and I love when you said I packaged what I like to do so you really built your business about what you love to do every day as opposed to what you should do with your finance background I thought that was you know, super interesting. And it's certainly something we work really hard in our program to make sure that people are loving what they do every day and actually developing product on that, not on what they should be doing. So that's really juicy, I thought. Well, anyhow, can I just leave? Usually I would, I'd like to get a couple of tips or three tips as to what you would tell people, you know, going forward as a businesswoman and what your top tips are. Um, so certainly have so many tips for business owners. Um, firstly, I want everyone to step up and take accountability for the financial side of your business. You started your business because you're excellent at whatever you do. And there's no expectation that you should know how to run the financial side of your business, but you've heard us talking about it here today. So now is the time to learn. Um, so delegating completely to your accountant or your bookkeeper is not enough. Just keeping your head down and focusing on sales is not enough. So have the courage to, to step up and take accountability for it. Uh, it's really going to change the trajectory of your business. Um, my second tip is to start the clock on credit for your company as soon as you possibly can. Um, so when I started my business, I went immediately to the bank. I shopped different banks, but started a, um, opened a credit card and line of credit so I could start the credit history for my business. Uh, at the beginning, likely going to be based on your personal credit score, but that's okay because as your company grows, your credit history is going to be able to grow and demonstrate that track record. And make sure you please keep your personal and your business finances uh, in separate accounts. Don't commingle everything you have. 
and the final tip is to absolutely check your pricing and your costing to make sure you are making money on what you sell. You might have the right offer at the wrong price point targeting the wrong client. So make sure that you actually do the math and that you can um, make a living, get a steady paycheck and get paid appropriately for the value that you provide to your clients. Well, I think they're fantastic three tips. I couldn't have said that better that myself. I love the second one, the credit rating, because I think quite often when you have startup businesses, you don't think to do that. And then you go to get loans and there's nothing in the business name. So you still have to then rely on your personal. So even if you can go and get, as you said, a small credit card, everything like my son just experienced because he didn't have a credit rating because he was young. I had never had a loan before. He could only lend 35000 for a car, even though he had lots of cash and, and, and lots of background and a really good job. It's the same for a business. And I never really thought about that before. I'm going to go out. We don't have, we don't need any debt in our business at the moment, but I'm going to go out and get a credit card in its name just so we have some kind of credit. So when we do want to expand, we can. That is a great tip. Anyhow, thank you so much, Tracy, for joining us today. I just think that that was some, a lot of gold in that. Thank you so much. And as always, everybody else, please be brave and continue the conversation. Thank you so much for your time today. We work super hard on bridging the gap between our expertise and our CEO skills to create more money and time in your everyday to create change. If this sounds like something that you would like to have a further conversation with, jump on blueprinthq.com.au and book a free consultation so we can continue the conversation. As always, be brave.